Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, man. I'm talking about, we're singing about turning tables and, and, and cleaning out the dirt. And, uh, and you know, it's pretty amazing because we're in that story today where God actually is doing some amazing things like that as well. And so I kind of need your imagination with me for a minute. All right, probably for a while. Um, you know, uh, uh, so, so, so you guys know what you ever know what a trellis is, right? A trellis, a trellis is those things. There's like wood structures they make, all right. And they'll put them. You might see one up against the wall and it kind of has vines growing up it. Or sometimes you'll see some that are a little more elaborate. They kind of make a little kind of archway and they kind of have vines growing over it. Or sometimes they, lately they've been getting really, really crazy with these trellises, all right. And they're just huge structures, right? You see them outside of hotels and there's no, there's no dirt or or, or, or vinery around anywhere. It's just these structures, all right, and these trellises, and they're just this huge. And in their original <clears throat> sense, a trellis was basically built so that it would support the growth of a vine, all right, so that you can, you can actually grow a vine up this trellis. I mean, you eventually the hope would be that the trellis itself would disappear and all that you would see would be vine. But somewhere along the line, people started to really admire the trellises, all right, and they, they started creating more and more elaborate trellises, and, and, and then they started just leaving the vine far away. Let's just put up these structures, and they, and they started to, to become more involved in architecture and whatnot, and in, the, and in the planning of your yard and stuff, and some are actually centerpieces of a yard, and there's no vine around them. There's no, there's no, there's no vinery, no, no, no growth around them. There's just this structure. And they've been built for, for to act as accent pieces in your yard or, or, or focal points of your yard and, and even some as, as, you know, to create privacy in your yard. And a guy named Colin Marshall in his book, Trellis and the Vine, which is a great book for a disciple maker, if you're a disciple maker, all right, it's really, really helpful. He was in his backyard and he was musing this exact thought. And he looked to one side of his yard and he saw this trellis. It was really beautiful. It was on, on one side of his yard. And he, he saw this trellis and it was just empty. It, it was really beautifully structured. It was strong, all right? And it was real pretty. And it was just really nice as it stood out there. He looked at the, at the framework and it it was really, really well built and, and strong and pretty. And then he looked to the other side of his yard and he saw this trellis that just was just overgrown with, with beauty, actually supporting what it was made for. The beauty of the vine, the strength of the vine and flowers and vine just growing, man. And he could see underneath how necessary it was to have a strong trellis but, this, but, the, but the purpose of the trellis was to support the beauty, all right, was to support the beauty of, 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 of the vine. And it's so crazy that, that like today, what, what, was, what was, you know, how, what was meant to support the growth of beauty is now more beautiful than the beauty it once supported. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I need some water. <laughs> all right. You know, what was meant to support the growth, of the growth of beauty, we hold to be more beautiful than the growth it was to support. And the focus has been on these trellises and not so much the vine anymore. And I want you to compare that to your life in Christ. 
I want you to, to think about that and, and compare it to your life in Christ. Now, framework is needed for our life in Christ, all right? So, so, but only so the vine can grow. Framework is needed, you know, uh, structures and, and systems and, and ways that we do things. I have my Bible hour at this time, my prayer at this time, and my community group at this time, and, you know, we have all these things that we're doing here so we can do what we're doing today. Framework is needed and it's necessary, but only so the, the vine can grow more and more. The vine, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ being trusted and preached, all right, in the power of his Holy Spirit and, you know, by each of us leading others, all right, to Christ for life so that they could turn around and do the same thing, hold on to the vine, hold on to Jesus and go out and and lead others to Christ. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples. But like all gospel work, you know, it is definitely helped and it's supported by the trellis. Definitely helped them and supported. But, but when the trellis becomes the main focus, all right, the, 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 the gospel can get lost. When all we focus on is the trellis and the structures and here's how it has to look and here's how it has to happen and these systems and these structures and when we, all we focus on that, the gospel gets lost. Jesus gets further and further and further from the lives he came to save because of those who would call themselves his end up making everything theirs. Hold on to that imagery. Hold on to that imagery of of a trellis and the vine because this is exactly what Jesus experienced, I believe, when he finally made it back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been traveling along with Jesus. And since Luke chapter 9, he said, once he said that, I'm on my way, I'm heading, we must go and head towards Jerusalem. And for the past year, we've been watching Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And finally, he arrives. All right, he, he comes through some of these cities, uh, you know, Bethphage and, and Bethany, and he comes to this Mount of, the, of Olives, this, this little hill that's right before from that, from that side of Jerusalem. It's right before, and he goes up over this to the top of this hill. He looks over the Kidron Valley, and he sees Jerusalem. It's a beautiful sight, even today. He sees the nation's capital. He sees the seat of influence for his people. And he cries over them. He cries for them. And he, and he cries because of them. It's kind of like us right here, just going right up here to Porter Mountain. I don't know if you guys, anybody ever been up to Porter Mountain? All right, yeah, I don't know if you want to admit that. I've seen some of the stuff that you guys leave behind. But anyways, all right. <laughs> All right, you get up there to Porter Mountain and you get to take a look at, at, you can see the community right here. You get a good look, you can see down to Snowflake Taylor and you can imagine, you know, Heber Overgaard way over there and then behind you, all right, you can, you, you know what's around you. But looking into the community, or even if you're, if you're watching online, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're where, wherever, whatever hill or, or whatever good, you know, vantage point you can get of your community, that's where you're at and you're looking, you can see your community. And you're imagining all those that are running around down here, 
that don't even know that they can know Jesus right at this very moment, though they've had every opportunity imaginable. And, and also those who are hindering the gospel in other people's lives because all they want to focus on is the trellis and they miss the vine. He looks at his people, the people that claim to be his. He's God. He looks at his people, the ones who claim to be his but don't recognize him because they just, they weren't looking for him. And he weeps over them. He doesn't just weep, he really, truly sobs over them because they're beyond relationship. They're just immersed in ritual. And he, and he comes down the, that, that hill and he walks into Jerusalem and he heads straight into the temple, his place of worship, and he sees the enemy right at work there. And he starts turning over tables, these platforms, all right? These, these platforms that the enemy uses to prostitute God's people, even us, against God. And he sets up his own platform, right? And he cleans out the dirt by preaching his word. That's a good place for an amen. I know right now you're just kind of, your hair is flying back. You're like, what the heck? Are you talking about me? Right? I don't know, man. It's up to you. And those, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, by the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You guys get some good turkey and stuff like that. Was it good? I had a blast. All right. Praise the Lord. Anyways. <laughs> but those who would know him will know him better if they truly do hang fast, hold fast to every word that comes out of his mouth. And so this is important because this slow approach to Jerusalem highlights the importance of the coming events that are just about to take place. See, he's about five days away from the cross, seven days away from the resurrection. And they've had all this time to respond to him and his preaching and teaching and his, his, his presence and, and still nothing. We're in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. And the word of God is pretty glaring right here. We need to pay attention. How would God speak to us today? And I, it gave you the imagery of the trellis and the vine. I think it's very, very important for us to ask, what are we paying more attention to? Trellis is necessary, but do we get caught just focusing, man, on how we have to do this, and you're not doing this right, and you're not doing this right, and you shouldn't dress like that, all those things. When we're just here to pray, preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we give you the praise. We give you the honor and the glory, Lord God. And we're so thankful, Lord God, for your word. And we pray in the name of Christ. You help us understand how important this word is today in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19, verse 41, begins this way. He drew near, oh, I kind of set the scene for you. He, when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. And it wasn't just a, a tear, he, you know, a couple of tears. It wasn't that. He literally sobbed. 
The original language shares that he's just, he's, he sobbed. And some might even say, even uncontrollably sobbed. Why? He set his eyes on his city. And from where he was, he wasn't so far away, he couldn't actually see figures of people running around. He was close enough that he could actually see the people, right, going about their day. Going about their day and going about their plane, pursuing their own way with no real thought of him at all. And so he literally sobs over the people when he looks over that valley and he sees his people, he just, he sobs. You know, like, like the tears of someone who already knows they've, they've turned their backs on him. It's like a parent already, you know, when you're, you're watching your kid make a decision, you know, a decision that, he, that he, you know is going to ruin his or her life for oh, quite some time, if not forever. And you're sitting there back as a parent and you're like, no. And they're just watching it happen right in front of you. Just watching them as they are just working on their trellises in this, and there's just no vine at all. The gospel is just absent. And then he, right there in that moment, he begins to say something. He's not in the square preaching this. He's not talking to all the people. Some of his disciples are with him. You know, his apostles are with him. But he's just kind of looking over the community. Have you ever looked over your family? Have you ever just kind of considered your people in a workplace or whatever, people that you care about, and you just start just saying things out loud of care and concern? And that's what's happening with him right here. And he said, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace but, but, but yeah, but now they're hidden from your eyes. He says, even you, man, the Israel's position in the world, he's talking to his people and their position on this planet. Well, again, I've told you this before, was to know God and to make God known. And there's a lot incorporated in that. And there's some trellis work that is necessary in that. But the idea is the vine of growing to know God and reaching up to God and reaching out to other people so that they can know God too. That was their job. If anyone should have recognized the son of the living God, it was Israel at this time. They should have been right and ready to recognize what time it was, but they weren't. The apostle John writes in the book of John, chapter one, verse 10, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't even know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. They didn't even recognize him. They weren't ready for him because they weren't really looking for him. They were sleeping on the job. When Debbie and I were kids, we were jumping around, we were riding all over the place, we were heading. One day, one night, we, we, we drove to Santa Cruz, her and I, and we just spent the day out there, and I'm doing my best to try to impress her. Right, and we're cruising back through through the town in Santa Cruz, right? And and I pulled up to this gas station. It was late at night, and I looked in as we pulled up to the to the pumps. There, I looked in, and the attendant was just tanked out on the. He was just crashed out. He was passed completely out. 
He was laying on the counter just like this, I mean, drool, everything was just like, uh, you know, just completely asleep. And I walked in on him, barefooted, hair out to here like this, tank top. I walked in on him, I looked at him, and I said, hey. I go, is this what I pay you for? And he said, what? I go, I don't pay you for this, man. Why are you sleeping, wasting my time, my money? This is my company. What do you think you're doing sleeping on the job? I'm not kidding. We really did this. And Debbie's in the car going, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what are you doing, man? I go, where's um? Who do I have in charge now? And he says, Jim. I go, yeah, where's Jim? He goes, he went home hours ago. I go, don't make me call him. Get up, start sweeping, start mopping. I want this place sticking. There's things you can do, buddy. Get to work right now. And he got up, he got the broom. He started sweeping up. He started mopping and everything. I went back, got in the car. I just wanted to mess with Debbie. I just want to impress her, <laughs> right? So I couldn't think of anything to do. I needed something, right? That's a true story. <laughs> We're just kids. <laughs> Me too, still, sometimes, right? I mean, this guy was ready to hand over the keys. I, I could have fired him at that moment, and he would have took it seriously. He would have said, oh, man. I could have let him walk out, give him one more chance. <laughs> All right? If we're not paying attention, anyone can come in here, man, and just take the keys away and just set up shop. Man, if you can't recognize Jesus, you're going to be fooled into thinking that the enemy is your boss. John was speaking in, in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He, he was speaking, they missed Jesus because they weren't really looking for him. All right? Their, their job was to know God and make God known. That was their position. But the position they'd been given in this life took a backseat to the desire that they had for this life. Did you understand that? The position that they've been, you can talk all you want. The, the position that they've been given, I'm gonna talk, well, I'm gonna preach to you, brother. All right, the position that they have been given, all right, in this life took a backseat to the desires that they had for this life. That creeps up on us. That, that right there will creep up on you, man. And the enemy will just creep in and just take the keys. They couldn't see him because he wasn't what they were looking for. But some did and some still do, man, because John even said this in John chapter 1, 12 and 13, right after that, he says, but the, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, in verse 12, he says, all who did receive him. All right, this is important. It's kind of a sideline, but you know what? This is totally important because it, it fits and it's helpful. We, those who grabbed a hold of him, all right, those who saw him grabbed a hold of him, all those who believed in his name, who trusted in his salvation. His name is Savior. His name is Redeemer. His name is Deliverer. His name is Rescuer. All who grabbed a hold of his name and lived according to that trust. 
In verse 13, he says, who were born not of blood, but of the will of the flesh, or not of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God, who were born, all right? They experienced, who were born, man, they experienced a radical change in life, literally a whole new life, because they grabbed the hold of him, they trusted in his name. And they were born of God, by means of God. All right, out from God, not because their parents had a kid. It's a different kind of birth. Those he gave right. He gave the right to be his and to stay his. This is important. Because those who got close, they stayed close, man. Because there's no other life worthy of their life but God's life. Amen. There's no other life worthy of your life but God's life. There is no other life worthy of your life, your breathing day-to-day life, than God's life. Stop settling for less. He approached Jerusalem, man. He's up on that hill. He sees these, he sees them. He thinks these things, all right? And he says these things. And I believe that Jerusalem can be symbolic today for our towns, our hometowns, our communities, even our families and our friendships. Do we cry over those? Do we weep? Do we sob over those who don't know that they can know Jesus? Who don't know what makes for their peace? Do we cry for them? Oh, we stuck in our stuff. Working on our framework. Verse 43, man, he shares some prophetic history. He says, and I say prophetic history because what he's about to say, it sounds a lot what might be happening today in Israel. We need to still be praying for them. All right. But this, I say prophetic history because it was prophetic to their time because it hadn't happened yet where they were in this context of this time when he said these things, but it's history for us because it already happened in 70 AD, what he's about to say. He said, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and will surround you and hem you in on every side. This hadn't happened at the moment he said this, but about 30 years later, 70 AD, 50 or 40 years later, it would, it would actually happen. Rome would come in and destroy Israel, conquer. Verse 44, and they'll tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And he mentions your children because we're responsible for the leadership of our children. And they will, leave, they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You have to remember that Christ is crying when he's saying this. All right? We, 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 did, we, we, uh, we, we um, separate. Oh, he cried over Jerusalem, but now he's saying some hardcore stuff. He's still sobbing over Jerusalem as he's saying this, all right? He's not getting any joy of calling out their sin, of calling out judgment, all right? He's not feeling this at all. It hurts him to have to to share this prophetic truth. Too often we view God as taking pleasure in pronouncing sin and judgment. Why? Because too many Christians, so-called Christians, actually take pleasure in telling people what kind of trash they are. And that's a problem. 
I had a pastor one time, he, 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 he questioned my salvation. I was, not, I was only like seven years into the faith, man. And I started getting involved in uh, working and being involved. I was a youth pastor, well, youth, uh, yeah, pastor at that time, actually. And because I didn't go to an event that was actually happening, some trellis work that was taking place in the community, because I didn't go, he says, I'm not sure you're saved. Looked me right in the face, had me in his office and told me this. He says, I'm not even sure you're saved. And I looked at him, the things that I was imagining, I wouldn't take, I can't tell you, um, but it hurt. And believe it or not, man, I literally started to tear up when he told me that. I'm a grown man. I did time in prison and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Don't mean nothing. I'm crying. He questioned my salvation. He hit me where it hurt most. He challenged my relationship with God. And I started like literally tearing up and sobbing, man. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry. You probably got the wrong guy. I'll pack my stuff. I'll get out of here. I'll leave, man. But I didn't believe it. But if that's what you believe, I'll get out of your face, man. He got all, he, he started saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. You know what? But you look like you took a lot of pleasure in saying it. We have to be careful of that. Jesus is sobbing, man. He's wrenching over this fact. And I know this, all right? I know this because 2 Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in to fill his promise, his promise of what? His promise of judgment on the whole earth, actually, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want to just like start just putting a hammer down. And then Jesus walks down that Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley towards the gate that is closest to the temple. He walks through the gate. He enters into the temple and Israel is packed at this time with foreigners and people from out of town because this past, this, that week of Passover stuff is happening. It's pretty live. not really happy with what he sees taking place in this place of worship. He rolls in and in verse 45 says he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold. Those who sold basically what is taking place here and some of the other gospels add a little more color to this. There were people there who had money changing tables. There were foreigners who would come in just to worship because this was what Israel was about, man, and they wanted to be a part of this. And, and in order to, there was a temple tax that you had to pay. It was a half shekel. And these people only came in with Greek money or Roman money. So they said, don't worry about it. We got you. We got half shekels right here. Give me. And they would overcharge them just so they can go and worship. You didn't bring an animal sacrifice? No problem. My, my buddy Guido over here, he's got some. We got you covered, man. Great. Bring out those, uh, those doves. Bring out those. They had all, and they were just kind of just, they were just making money off. It would be like us standing out here. Before you walk in, there'd be a line of people out there saying, before you come in, we're going to sell you this. We have to sell you the lyrics to the songs we're going to sing today. And unless you buy them, you can't go in there and worship. Sorry, yeah, apparently you don't want to worship. You know what I mean? It'd be like us doing that. Standing right out here saying, look at man, we're selling you. The lyrics to all the songs, we're not putting them up there. (laughs) 
and freak them out. The people he came to save, they built these systems that over, they overshadowed the salvation he brought, these trellises that overshadowed the, the salvation that he brought. The, the vine work was hard to control for them, so they just focused on trellises. And here's what I know, man. The enemy will gladly use your trellis if you aren't using them to grow the gospel. You guys, you're like, okay, well, I don't know. But think about it like this. How many of you have walked into another church, all right, and, 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 and then judging the content of the service, all right, and we forget that we're the temple and our hearts are his altar, we judge what's taking place. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like this. Is there any vine work taking place? That's the question you should be asking. Is there any gospel work taking place? Are you hearing that Jesus Christ, man, he was sent by God and he is God and that he came and did many miracles, told many, told many sermons, cast out demons, healed the sick and healed, rose a couple dudes from the dead, all right? And then he himself gave his life on the cross for you and for me, all right? So that we're not eternally lost from God, all right? He gave his life for your sins and my sins. He was buried and three days later, he rose again and boom, he is alive and kicking it with God. God? All right. Are you hearing that gospel message? Do you see how simple that was? Are you sharing that message? Are you looking for vine work or are you constantly a, just a trellis inspector walking around? I don't know if I like that fog machine. I don't know if I like uh, these lights and I don't know if I, man, come calm down. What does it look like for Jesus to enter your temple? Think about that. We invite Jesus into our lives. When we do this, man, we turn over the table, right? That is called humility. The tables that we've set up without God. When we have the humility to ask God into our lives, we, we, we invite him into our lives, man. We, you know, the only thing you guys are going to remember is like, can I really pull that gas station thing off? Back off on that right now. Think about this right here with me. You got the wrong table set up if you're thinking about that. When we invite Christ into our life, we have a table that is all about us. We have trellises that are set up, that are structural, set up for just our benefit. And basically the enemy is using it because if Jesus ain't using it, then the enemy's using it. All right, we turn over those, those tables and that, that's, that's, that's humility on our part before God. And then when he is our life, he points out the tables that we still need to turn over. And challenging us to do it and empowering us by his Holy Spirit to get it done. And then he shouts out in the middle of the, t of the temple. These people are freaking out. What the heck's going on here? My question is, why are the religious leaders of that community allowing this to even happen? Well, because they were getting kickbacks. That's true. In 19, verse 19, uh, in verse 46 of chapter 19, he says to them, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. 
In Isaiah 56, seven, this is what he was quoting. Isaiah says this, he says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The idea was that God, all right, that God would be so active in Israel that people would come from all over the place, all nations to worship in this temple. And if Jerusalem would have been at that time a true praying people, they would have recognized the one, all right, that they were praying to as being right there in front of them. Ah, man, he's here. I was just talking to you, man. (laughs) Is your temple, is it a house of prayer? Is it recognizably is? Verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Those who had a stake in the community's success as is were not interested in any kind of reform. And that's our fight today. As is. I mean, you can do as long as you want, as long as you don't disrupt, disrupt things as is. The, you know, as the way they are. You can build all the trellises you want. It's the vine work that we're really, really careful with. Trellis work is non-threatening in the community as long as there's no vine on it. Why? Because the gospel changes things. It changes things in your life. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here, right? To be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for the Jew first and then the Greek. And anyone of those who don't know, they can know Jesus. We're here to be changed by the gospel. And in, because of that changing, we're here to change the world. Amen. I'm looking at a room of people whose world have been changed and are now called to change the world. This is a mighty army. And finally, verse 48. They didn't find anything they could do because all the people were hanging on to everything he was saying. They were hanging on to all his words. This, this whole world is going to try to destroy Christ in you for the life of you. You just want a trellis that has a Jesus sticker on it, and no problem. But this whole world is going to seek daily to destroy Christ in you for the life of you. See, Jesus is, is speaking daily to you and in you. I mean, you can hang up the phone, man, or you can hang on every word. The choice is yours. Daily. You hang up the phone, man, the works, for that day, the world's work, done. No problem. You hung up, cool. Just leave it on. Leave it off, leave it, hang it up. You hang on every word of Christ and the world will be changed because of you and through you. These hung on every word, but that testimony would not last because just a few days from now, they'll be shouting, crucify him. How'd that happen? 
because of their leadership. Refocus them back on the trellis. And that refocus on the trellis quickly encouraged them to have the vine killed on the cross. What about you? What about you? I told you. Pay attention. It's important. Every word of God is so important for you. He loves you so much. If he didn't, we wouldn't have the word of God. He cares about you so much, man. This is not, this is, you know what this is. So what about you? What are you focusing on? So I want you to consider. Where do you find your focus most? This is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to take with you. Are you constantly focusing on trellis work? On that, just like this and this and this, and you know what I mean? Now, having, it's important. The framework is important because it supports the vine. That's important. But is that where all of your focus is on? You know, just reading and static prayers and forcing community, forcing fellowship. And it's only for your benefit. It's not even advancing the gospel. You're just doing stuff. Is that your focus or is your focus on the trellis and the vine? Sharing the gospel. Supporting the growth of the gospel. When I read through the book of Acts, I see how the gospel was growing. Not the trellis, but the gospel was growing in every community. And you read through the letters, you read of of the growth of the gospel. to ask yourself, man, what do you want to focus on, man? If you just want to focus on trellis work and you don't want to pay attention to vine, good luck with that. We love you. We're going to be right here with you. But God has called us to so much more. So what are you going to do about that? What I want you to do this week is just consider that. Just examine your day to day. We we so much. How many? How many? How many? You know, this Thanksgiving, I ate a plate of food so fast I didn't even know if I tasted it. It was that fast. And we live our days like that so often. We get to the end of the day and we don't really know what we experienced. We weren't paying attention. We were just doing trellis work. I have to go to work at this time. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to come home. And this is how I do home. It's all trellis. Remind yourself of the vine. 
Remind yourself of Christ. When you wake up, breathe them in, man. When you, when you, when you, when you get up, breathe them out. And let that day be your day. Breathing Christ in and breathing them out. Trellis in the vine, amen? If you want to pray, we will be right here to pray with you, right? And I would challenge you to come up and pray, man. And we got a prayer fence in the back corner over there. All right, you want to put a, just a prayer back there. We, we pray over those constantly. So let me challenge you. Won't you stand up with us? And this is your part. This is not the part, again, to just roll out, sneak out the back door. Come on, man. If you want to walk out, come out the front door. Right here. We'll be right here praying while you do it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.